Reconstructionist Radio presents The War Room, where we discuss tactics for strategic Christian living. Mighty Lord, extend your kingdom, be the truth with triumph crown. Let the lands that sit in darkness Good morning and welcome to the War Room. I'm your host, Bill Evans. Sitting outside this morning, Holly Ridge Baptist Church in Blacksburg, South Carolina, with my friend and one of the busiest men I know, Tim Brown. Tim, welcome to the War Room. Thank you, Bill. Good to be here. Tim, for those who don't know, uh, is editor-in-chief of uh, Freedom Outpost, uh, Washington Standard, Mm -hmm. uh, Guns in the News, uh, Sons of Liberty Media dot com. Uh, he's uh, formerly uh, was on radio with Northwest Liberty News, where Jason Sanchez and I were able to join him one day. And he's a w- close working associate of Bradley Dean. And are you still working for uh, Gary Demar in yes, a roundabout way? That's, that's what uh, Freedom Outpost is. So okay. And so uh, I wanted you to and, and a busy home. School dad, uh, how many children do you have now? Ten. Are you done? I, I guess if that's what the Lord <laughs> says. They know what causes it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, any grandchildren? None of your children married yet? No. Well, that would be an interesting. We might want to hear uh, the <laughs> prayers of a home of a of a of a dad for spouses. I bet you've been praying for your kids' spouses for years. I have. Uh, Tell us a little bit about, for our War Room listeners, uh, also uh, you um, are a um, purveyor of fine hardware for the liberty conscious Christian. Fine hardware. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, the fine hardware uh, is Joshua Mark 5, um, AK, it's an ARAK, real hybrid, semi-automatic rifle. trying to help the guy really get off the ground. They uh, had a little bit of problems um, with some of the finances and stuff, but he's still in business. A lot of people ask, is he scamming people? He has every intention of turning out the guns, but as a startup project, he's not Ruger or Smith & Wesson or anything like that, and all those guys had startups too. But, yeah, we, we have plenty of those guns to uh, sell immediately to ship within 24 to 48 hours. Uh, so that's the hardware part. Um, homeschooling my wife you know God's given me a good helpmate so she's really the one who conducts most of that um, a lot of the kids if you're in the homeschool community you know yourself that um, real education comes when the kids learn to do for themselves and those come in the simplest things of writing and reading and just knowing how to how to find answers to be inquisitive um, and to learn on their own so a lot of our homeschooling is just that you know she's gives them some tasks and things each day uh, as they're young and then she does as they get older she does the same thing but they have more leniency to pursue things that they want to um, uh, my oldest daughter is in um, is at Winthrop now uh, in her first year there she's been at uh, York Tech for a couple of years and um, <clears throat> so she's pursuing ma- uh, a master's degree there um, and uh, then my oldest boy uh, has taught himself, I don't know, five or six instruments. Um, listened to him the other day, just play some things, and they were, it was just beautiful. And um, Has he started mixing any music with him playing all the various different instruments? Yeah, he got a little thing for Christmas. It's some kind of pedal. that It's like a multi-tracker that's a pedal, and you can record the different instruments that you want in there. And then he can take it and pull it off and put it on the computer. I don't know how much he's done of that just yet, but just to say, you know, he hasn't had anybody teach him, uh, you know, specifically. But what he does is he'll go on and utilize YouTube and stuff like that. Guys are going to show how to play chords, um, certain, you know, things that they do. And it's just amazing to me to watch him on his own spend hours learning that. Have uh, any of your children uh, developed? Uh, proven to be uh, gifted writers? 
my oldest daughter is she wrote a um, she actually wrote a fantasy book several years ago. I've got it saved. She doesn't want me to publish it, but I told her I said y'all publish it. You know, fantasy books do do really well. She went to the extent of even writing a glossary of all the kinds of plants and the uh, the land areas where she was and stuff. But she never published it. Um, I think she's a little insecure on that. But she writes really well. She helps me with editing sometimes. Um, very good with English. Uh, I've got two daughters, um, the third in line and the fifth in line, that uh, are learning Korean. And it's a weird thing for a southern dad to have two girls who all they eat is basically Korean food. Um, seriously, uh, kimchi and kimchi omelets and kimchi soup. and uh, It's a little weird for me. Uh, but uh, got those... Um, my second oldest boy is uh, more of an outdoors guy. You give him something outdoors, and he loves that. And the other ones are coming along. It's kind of hard to determine exactly what they're where they're bent towards, but um, they're coming along too. And uh, my next oldest in line girl, she uh, is learning the violin. She started with a, um, I guess it's a, like a teen symphony or orchestra kind of thing this past summer, so she was really excited about that. And, um, of course, my wife is a uh, jack of many trades in the house, just like any homeschool mom, and then uh, she's picked up essential oils that she's selling as well and using in the house, and um, uh, several things. As a matter of fact, she was up in Asheville this week to do some of those things. So it's, yeah, it's real busy, and I'm going from the time I get up to the time I go to bed. So really, uh, I made in jest as you pulled up today. I said you don't need to go to church; you are a church. So you have when you have a, a large homeschooling family. Uh, I, 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 as you were talking there, I was thinking of a multiple independent reentry vehicle. You know, this is a an intercontinental ballistic missile that once it reaches, once it uh, is over the target, it disperses. And separate warheads go there to their various designated targets. Mm. And really, a homeschooling family is almost like an MIRV in the sense that uh, it's the Brown family, but hopefully uh, in the years to come, Lord willing, and we survive a Clinton or Trump presidency, and, uh, and we haven't, uh, God doesn't smote us, uh, you'll have a lot of different arrows uh, that are being fired, and and I know that. Um, tell tell me a little bit about how you're 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 not uh, you're busy, but you're not uh, you're not on Facebook. You're not always chiming in. You're you're just boots on the ground kind of reconstructionist, aren't you? Yeah, um, you know the Bible talks about that. That with each of our kids, we read from um, Psalm one twenty seven, one twenty eight, and as soon as they were born. And the last five have been born at home, which was less expensive for us and uh, a lot better for mom and baby in the long run. And, um, you know, we had time to read those, and we would always remind the kids that, you know, their blessings from God, whether we get to spend a lot of time with them or a little time with them, that, um, you know, they are like arrows in the hands of a mighty man, like, you know, the Scripture says. And, um, <clears throat> you know... I've always said if our kids turn out good, then it's glory to God. If they turn out bad, then well, then that's on us. And, you know, remind them that they're responsible um, to God ultimately before they are mom and, you know, even even us. But, um, yeah, I'm hopeful that, that God will use them um, in the various capacities they have, the passions they have and the desires that they have, that, that he's directing those. Uh, I think I told you before, even the Korean stuff, I'm, I'm like, okay, why would <laughs> two girls from South Carolina uh, want to learn Korean? What's, what's, what's up with that? And I realize there are some things, <clears throat> you know, they're young girls, they see cute boys and this, that, and the other, and they, some of these guys are Korean or whatever, but they're learning the language. And I see, uh, I've got a friend out of China, and uh, he was just talking about, you know, English girls going and, and uh, Chinese girls would be there at his house all day if he brought my daughters over there because they just are fascinated with uh, people who speak English because they want to learn. So I can see all of those things of, of how they can be used. And, well, all those Korean missionaries to the United States yes. will need translators. Yes. <laughs> well, and, and we have a plan that uh, 
Uh, my wife takes them over to Charlotte for there's some kind of Korean restaurant there, and they went. And uh, one of my daughters saw, Mom, they got a Korean Bible here, and it has like Korean on one side and English on the other. So they got that. They were really excited about it. And we're talking about maybe like once a month. Uh, starting to take the family maybe to a Korean mission because we have several around here. The Korean and, Presbyterian churches? Yeah, and just and let them experience what that would be like to be, you know, immersed into a, you know, place where they're just speaking Korean. Well, I, and, and what a lot of American evangelicals and may not know is that probably pound for pound, ratio-wise, uh, South Korea is one of the most Christianized sure. nations in the world. Who would have thunk? Yeah. Uh, it wasn't that way when my dad was there in 1950. Well, uh, a lot of it's Presbyterian, too. Yeah, yeah. I, I think they mentioned that in, in Seoul, South Korea, to have early morning public prayer meetings with tens of thousands yeah. of people in, in the public square is not uncommon. Yeah. Would that we took a page out of their book. Um, well, and disperse the Muslims out of the street from doing what they're doing. Uh, and, and us go take a stand instead of being so squeamish and say we have to be tolerable of that because we're not to be tolerable of that. Um, Tim, you're, you, uh, more than a lot of people, you kind of keep your finger, by, by virtue of the, the nature of your editorial work, you, uh, you watch political goings-on fairly closely, do you not? Sure. Uh, what is your prognosis of the, uh, of, um, uh, I'm just interested to get your feedback because you do pay attention to and 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 move in some big circles. Uh, what is your prognosis of upcoming events as it relates to um, U.S. Um, relations with Russia and our uh, the saber rattling going on from both sides? Yeah, I I, um, I see what gets written. Um, I think that we play a dangerous game by just. Our foreign policy is terrible. We want to put our nose in everybody's business and be the savior of the world, and we can't. You know, we were warned by George Washington not to be doing that. Keep your nose out of everybody else's business. You look at some uh, country like Switzerland um, and some of the stuff that's going on in Syria and such. I mean, they're right there at it. And so it's in their backyard, So you, you, and, and they remain neutral. Um, they're not hurt by remaining neutral. And... Um, you know, my, I, I think that um, somebody like Bojadar is much better to, to comment on that because he comes from that kind of a, of a background where he sees that stuff. And he's, he's brought some things to my attention that I didn't know. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. All I know is uh, if, um, you know, our representatives want to put us in a situation to where they're wanting to go to war um, and they want to come draft my boys like they did other boys in Vietnam and stuff, we'll just fight here. Because they don't even think about coming and getting his girls. Don't don't think about doing it because um, uh, I, I will take uh, a defensive posture uh, in that because one, they're doing it illegally. In fact, everything they're doing in these for, in these foreign countries is illegal under our constitution. They're not to be funding these guys. They aren't to be arming them. Um, and if you think this is an Obama issue or a Hillary Clinton issue, you're part of the problem because you don't understand the problem. Your Congress is allowing it, Republicans and Democrats. They're allowing it. And if you say, well, the Republicans have said this, that, and the other, and we have people, yeah, but not one of them has written an article of impeachment, not one, against the guy. Not one of them called it, have really called him out for his crimes, and they have uh, politicized the issue. As far as I'm concerned, America is being played by the right and the left, I think Donald Trump, uh, I was thinking about it coming here, I think Donald Trump wants to make America great. The problem is, what does that mean in his mind? Does it mean jobs? Is that really the issue? Because I post, I did post a thing on Facebook, and, and um, uh, one of the things that I pointed back to was, you know, how, do, how does he perceive that? And, and Christians come along. You know, this thing comes out, what, 11 years ago, this tape, where he makes these comments. And uh, I remember when Bill Clinton, that whole issue went on when he was impeached and everything. And, of course, the media tried to spin it as, well, he, he lied about sex, so it's okay. It wasn't, an issue of, it wasn't an issue of that. It was an issue that he perjured himself. That's the issue. He lied under oath. And, and that's a crime. That's a violation of the Ninth Commandment. Um, 
And so people completely miss that. Well, now you've got a guy wearing the rights jersey, and they'll defend him. They say, well, that's 11 years ago. Well, wait a minute. Stop and think about that. This guy's almost 60 years old talking like that. That's one. Two, he's written about his philandering. He's written about how he actually went. And I'm not saying he's not respectful to them, their face, many times. But the fact of the matter is, he said it with his own mouth. And you said, well, at least you know what you're getting. I said, really? And then now we have Christians coming out and justifying his behavior and saying, well, King David did this. Let me point this out to you. King David, before the Bathsheba incident, his character was impeccable. It didn't have all that stuff strewn out all over it. He was a man after God's own heart. And King David, unlike Donald Trump, knew Psalm 51. We read that this week um, with the family. He poured out his heart. When he was confronted, he asked for forgiveness. He basically pled with God to beat the sin out of him, beat the dirt out of me, make me clean again. And, um, and he repented. And I can't say that for Donald Trump. And what amazes me is the Christians will say, well, we need to not have Hillary. Well, I agree with you. I do agree with you. We don't. But then I get the thing of, well, if you don't vote for Trump, it's a vote for Hillary. Well, let me ask you. If I don't vote for Hillary, is it a vote for Trump? That's, that's messed up logic. So um, they will justify that and say, well, don't judge him. Don't throw the stones. You know, take all those verses out of context and this, that, and the other. That's not an issue of I'm condemning him to hell. I'm not doing that. I'm just simply saying you have a man who has this character. He's almost 70 years old, and this, is his, this has been his life. And I had a lady write an article that I wouldn't post the other day. She said, you know, I can differ with people on certain things, but she said, Trump's God's man. He's had a genuine conversion. He talks about the Holy Bible. You mean the one that he doesn't even know the verse he quoted from isn't in there? Um, and, you know, it, this comes from one of James Dobson's people that he's led to the Lord. And I'm like, you know, and they talk about that being a part of the Apostle Paul. And I said, but the difference is, is when the Apostle Paul was there, he's a few days there, God gives him his sight, what happens? He gets baptized, and what does he immediately begin to do? begins to preach, doesn't he? Do you see that with Donald Trump? I, I, I would think a man who has been transformed at the level he has, especially in late in life, you would see a distinct difference. Well, even, even uh, Saul become Paul uh, was taken off into Arabia for three years sure. and to, to get his mind right. But immediately he began to preach. Yeah, he began to testify of right, what, it, sure. what the Lord had done for him. Sure. Like any new believer, the night I, I came to Christ, I went back and told everybody on my ship, Yeah, uh, I think. But but at the very least, even if his conversion was real, that makes him a new believer, which we're not to lay hands on any man suddenly. Right. And that he's not qualified because he the character. Either way, I think the very fact that we have these two buffoons uh, and our criminals and our reprobates in even on the tickets of the respective parties is again further indication that as John Weaver, Pastor John Weaver said the other day, we're already under God's judgment. Sure. And of course the oft quoted uh, John Calvin, uh, when when God judges a nation he gives them wicked rulers. Yeah, sure. uh, I one of the things, of course you're from South Carolina, uh, and and I'm from the South and uh, and I, I really would like to see the church begin to discuss, put more emphasis on their state and local governments and saying, if you don't do such and such, if you don't begin to comport yourself according to the laws of God and the laws of this land, then we're, we're going to take our toys and, and do our own thing because we can do better than this on the local level. Yeah. Um, and, and then, but that's not... Uh, it's not likely to get much traction. I mentioned to you earlier uh, that I just we posted just this morning an interview I did the other evening when Tom when Tom Hofling, and a lot of the feedback we got from some really bright, thoughtful people is that um, he's not a serious candidate, and and um, I made the comment, and he made the comment that his candidacy, which is a front porch candidacy, they've spent no money, they've asked for no money, they accept no money, they just want, to, he said, my candidacy is aimed at the church. Mm -hmm. He said, with 70% of the American people, 
espousing Christianity, and of course, obviously, most of that is not legitimate. He, ad he acknowledges that. But even if a third of them are genuine Christians and they would galvanize, they could, they could control. Uh, what was it Rushton? He said that um, uh, about uh, that it's not the majority in, the, in, in history. It's not been the majority that's typically driven public policy, but it's been the committed minority. And look what the, the, uh, the homosex community has been able to do with what an estimated... 2% or something like yeah. that. Yeah. What's amazing to me is how uh, so-called Christians have bent over backwards to uh, reinterpret Scripture to uh, allow for all sorts of accommodation in that respect. Um, well, but the, I think one of the things you hit on right there is that Christians have retreated from the culture. Um, you talk about uh, the, the Sodomites and what they did, and anybody who uh, can get the book Marketing of Evil by David Coupland, I read that, and he went through how they began to market themselves differently instead of uh, being allowed to be called Sodomites or queer or faggot or whatever the case may be. Um, and I don't, I don't say we ought to call them things just to be calling them names. I don't think that's the proper thing. But when I use the term sodomite, I'm referring to what they do, just like I'd refer to somebody as a murderer or as a, what they did or a thief. Um, and well, if you're going to control the narrative, you've got to control you, the vocabulary. You have to do that. And I, I'm seeing Christians and conservatives refer to them as gay. You are buying into the lie, and you're, and you're, and you're um, legitimizing what they're saying about themselves by using the term. You may not like it. I have people uh, not want to contribute anymore because they would send me stuff with gay in there, and I'm like, I'm changing this to homosexual or sodomite if you don't correct it because that's part of the issue. And the, and the, and the, and the socialists and the communists know that. You change the language, that's how you affect the culture. So you have that, and you have the Christians today more concerned about jobs, more concerned about... You know, they call it radical Islam. That's the thing I take out, too. People use that. I put Islam. People who follow Islam are doing those things that they do. Um, they're more concerned about that, and they say, we need to watch out for national security. So you're more concerned about those things than you are the, the wrath of God. I, I'm, I'm a little lost here because you're supposed to be a Christian. Yeah, that's In fact, that was one of the takeaways of my interview with Tom is that, uh, you know, you got to love a man at least who acknowledges that our greatest, the, the greatest threat to national God. security is God's judgment. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and that goes in line with the gospel. What is the gospel? It is saving us from God's wrath, is it not? Exactly. So, uh, it, and, and you have people like MacArthur who, when you hear him preach, you're sitting here going, okay, you got these things, you're talking about God's law, and, but that only applies to the individual, that only applies to Christians. And you're like, okay, then why does God judge nations? Is it because we're violating his law as a people? If, if, if that's the case, then what does repentance look like for a nation? Are we just talking about individuals? Are we talking about even corporate repentance? Well, and, and, what, and I think it was uh, probably John Weaver who I just spent five days down at his uh, farm in South Georgia, and you got to go there. He's got a thousand-yard range, and the tools to use on it, oh. and it's it's sweet. Uh, gotta love a man whose pet is a two-thousand-pound <laughs> bull. <laughs> but uh, uh, he mentioned the fact that it's while godly uh, while godless men are certainly the problem. I, I think the greatest the the greatest tragedy is the woeful pacifism pietism antinomianism and statism uh, that is exemplified in the American Christian culture. And, uh, and your work as an editor, I mean, you're hitting that between the eyes just about every day. Uh, you're an anti-statist and, and, uh, and, and uh, a theonomist. Um, how did you make your way into this worldview? What were, what were the seminal works or some of the... Uh, the books or authors uh, that were instrumental in helping you form a mature biblical worldview? Well, <clears throat> to be honest, you're giving me credit for far more than what I am. Uh, I don't know that I have a full mature view or something, but um, I know when I became a Christian, um, 
long time ago now, uh, 1992, I believe it was, Christmas. Actually, it was Christmas morning, uh, about 2 o'clock in the morning, I believe, is really when I was converted. Um, but I knew something had happened to me that I couldn't explain. I mean, I, I sent certain things. I was brought up in a Christian home and stuff, and stuff but uh, uh, something changed. Um, I believe I really encountered the living God. I really do. And I wasn't looking for him. I was, I was looking everywhere else but for him. Well, how did, well, for instance, how is how is it that a young man who was whose father was a Southern Baptist yeah, pastor? He still is. Uh, how is it that you went to work for Gary North and were you required to read everything he'd ever written to go to work for him? <laughs> no, no, I was not. Um, I'll, I'll get to that. Uh, I'll jump real quickly. Um, I, I was told by the guys at the church, which was Southern Baptist, that I went to. Uh, you know, read the Gospel of John. That's the first thing you need to do. So I'm reading it, and I've got all kinds of questions because in there, I, unbeknownst to me, I didn't even know there was such a thing as Calvinism or Reformed theology. I, I didn't know any of that stuff. Um, you know, in Southern Baptist churches, basically, you need to get saved, don't go to hell, you know, that kind of thing. It's That's kind of the way it is. And, don't read Spurgeon. Well, I don't even know. My dad My dad had Spurgeon. My dad had Spurgeon books. Um, but... Uh, and and my dad is different in Southern Baptist. If you get him along and talk to him and you explain certain things to him without certain terminology, he'll agree with Reformed theology. Um, it's in the practical, he has a hard time disconnecting some of that. I don't hold that against him. I mean, that's up to the grace of God to open that up or whatever. But um, God's sovereign in illumination well, sure as well. Sure he is, sure he is. And and I'm glad that he would at least affirm privately those things. So I'm I'm happy about that. I don't sit there... I don't have to polish the five points every time I talk with my dad or something, or even if I get the opportunity to preach or something. But um, uh, instrumental in that was I saw those things in the Scripture. I just didn't know how they went together. And a friend of mine turned me on to uh, R.C. Sproul, Grace Unknown. And I read that, and I was like, oh, oh, yeah, okay, that makes a lot of sense. It was like putting the pieces of a puzzle together. So I got that. And, uh, of course, the things I was taught was uh, the next thing that usually follows that for, for many guys that I've run into is eschatology. And I've been trained under people like Dave Hunt and Jack Van Impey. <laughs> so you can imagine when I begin to question things, uh, I begin to blog on that. And boy, I caught it. Uh, Gordon Runyon was around then, and he and I were friends blogging. And um, there was a guy out of Kentucky, I forget his name. Uh, but he was going to seminary out there, and then there was a guy by the name of Nathan White who, I, I like Nathan, he's a brilliant young man, uh, but he ended up going out to uh, California to, um, what's the school out there? Biola? No, no, no. They have one in Philadelphia too. Oh, Westminster Westminster, West? yes, Westminster, and the Reformed Baptist section, which has uh, Michael, what's his name, from Whitehorse in it. Horton? Horton, yes. I'm having... I'm having a block here. I, did, I didn't know they had a Baptist. Uh... They have a, blo- a Baptist block. Uh, I believe Jim Renahan started that out of uh, Arca. And uh, so Michael's teaching out there. And I, I just, I watched Nathan as he went out there. And he just got immersed in that and became all-millennial. Well, he became all-millennial before that because I challenged him about eschatology. He was going to Johnny Hunt's church. And didn't even realize that he was indoctrinated with the whole, you know, pre-tribulation rapture and dispensationalism and all that. So he, he took like three months to read and came out with the other. Anyway, uh, I watched some of that, and it has its implications. I mean, it has its consequences of buying into that, and you see it in things that he'll say. Brilliant young man, though. And um, uh, so I dealt with eschatology. And out of that, because you see this, this distinction, or not a distinction, you see Israel and the church being the same, you see the law governs both the same, too. And so there's not this doing away with the law that in the Old Testament God was vengeful and he was pushing the law and he wanted to kill people and do all this stuff. No, no, no. You see that too in the, in the New Testament. I mean, the Bible, Hebrews tells us that, you know, if people died under, under the Old Covenant with two or three witnesses, how much more the one who tramples under the blood? I mean, so you can't say God has changed. Uh, if, you, if you say anything, you have to say he's even more serious now because he's demonstrated his love for men and for uh, justice in what what he did with yeah, his we own have son. more lights so that makes us more responsible exactly exactly so so when i when i dealt with that 
out of eschatology, there came the law. I'm still working through a bunch of stuff because. Um, well, what we I don't, you know, one of the my challenges is you know I I do this weekly podcast and I drive a truck, and you know my my phone directory has gotten longer and there are some more notable names in it than before but there are times when a lot I don't really feel like I'm doing much I don't of course we've got we can always fall back on that leaven illustration that well it's just a our mustard seed yeah you know God uh, does great things through ordinary everyday faithfulness from or, of by ordinary people sure. and uh and, and sometimes I wonder, are, are we are we playing Christian Reconstructionists? Uh, out of everybody who has the label, how many people are really reconstructing anything, are really have boots on the ground, hands on the shovel handle? Uh, and, and I think of people like Tim Yarborough and there's and, and I Matt and Matt Truhella, uh, and and, got, and and there are a lot of men who are unsung and women who are unsung. Sure. Uh, uh, out there and just doing what they do, raising. I, I guess being a Christian dad is about the most important reconstructionist work you can do, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's the whole thing. Um, stop and think about the illustration of um, uh, back in uh, Exodus, and you have um, you know the the tribes of Israel really forming down there. Their their family growing. They're not doing anything except having a bunch of kids. And passing on what the covenant was that, that you know, God had given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that's all they were doing. And guess what happened? Jacob saw, I mean, uh, Joseph saw the scene. Pharaoh comes up who do, doesn't remember Joseph. And what's he do? He sees all these people growing and he gets scared. Now, they aren't, they aren't uh, protesting in the streets of Egypt. They've got their own little place over here. But they're growing in that. And I think that's one of the things is... If the people really feared God, God would strike fear in the hearts of our enemies. Yeah, I was just reading that. Uh, I was just reading that how God had actually put the loathing of the Hebrews in the hearts of the Egyptians. Sure. And there was fear and loathing, uh, and of course they they sacked them. Um, <clears throat> I guess we need to be. Uh, uh, you know, one of the questions that we asked in the early episodes of the War Room podcast is <clears throat> how can we uh, transform the body of Christ into a, a, uh, a culture-transforming force to be reckoned with rather than a voting block to be manipulated? And certainly they're being, we're being manipulated now. Um, do you see any particular other than maybe persecution or a meltdown of the social order, do you, think, do you see anything short of uh, catastrophic changes in the way we live, uh, Tim, as being uh, as a galvanizer of the Christian? Or, or, or do we even need to be galvanized? Or do we need to stay just decentralized and under the radar and just faithfully doing what we're doing? Um. I have to give that some thought a little bit. I think there are pockets where we're going we're gonna to need to galvanize. And I, I think this is going to come through uh, some like what maybe you see in the New Testament. Um, you see they were galvanized, and persecution came in Jerusalem, and then they're dispersed. And from that, they began to build up you know, churches throughout Asia. So I can see some of that coming now. The problem is... is, is and this was one of the things I was getting into what I was saying before. Um, you know, the eschatology issue has, in my opinion, has been the thing that has crippled the church because it gives a mindset of a rapture scenario. I remember years ago somebody gave me a Tim LaHaye book, and that guy, you know, he's so unbalanced because that's what he focuses on. That he's I, not unbalanced now. He's, no, he's not unbalanced He's post-millennial now. now. Yeah, he's, he's got his theology more correct than we do. Um, but the but I think the point is is that you know it became clear to me in reading a lot of his books we've got to tell people this before this happens because after this happens 
they won't be able to because the and they point to the second Thessalonians back. And I'm sitting there going, you think that your rapture doctrine is the gospel? You think that's the gospel? And it's not. And of course, he was one who says Old Testament law, you know, this, that, and the other. So, and so all of that plays into it. And I remember um, do one of the first DVDs I did for Jerry uh, Johnson at Nicene Council was by a guy who's going to be with the Lord too. He wrote the Praise of Folly. Um, I'm having another blank here. David, somebody. Uh, I hate that. Anyway, um, he talked about those things, and he was pointing out the very the history of how it came into the American system. Um, some of the guys before um, the guy with the Bible. I don't know why I'm having Schofield. This. Schofield. Yeah. I don't know why I'm having all these blanks, but all the guys that came before Schofield who laid the groundwork for that, and they, some of these guys came in and. Um, uh, pushed people like uh, Theodore Herzl, and a lot of people don't even don't even know the history there. But Theodore Herzl is a Jewish guy, and he's thinking of establishing a Jewish state, but he wants to do it in Uganda. And these guys come along and go, no, no, no. The Bible says it's got to be here in Jerusalem, so that's why they go that route. But most people don't even know these guys were willing to go here to Uganda, and then they got the backing of U.S. presidents. Uh, I think Woodrow Wilson was one of them. Um, and several of these guys, and you can see it in how it's in our politics, biblical eschatology, and this view that this little postage stamp piece of land over there in the Middle East is somehow God's chosen people, it's not. It's not. Yeah, these we, people are antichrist for the most part. Yeah, I, I, I introduced Tom Hofling as the uh, um, imperfect good and not one of the lesser evils, but even in, in, in talking about his, I asked him specifically uh, what he felt like Americans' uh, policy should be regarding Israel. Should we just give unquestioned uh, cooperation with them? It, 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 was that even constitutional, much less biblical? And, he, and, his, and you could tell that uh, his thinking had been captured by that because he said, well, I'm not one of those replacement guys. Not, not to take anything away from Tom's uh, uh, piety or his devotion to Jesus Christ, but the idea replacement, they think that we're, yeah. re, they call us replacement theologians, that we think that God has replaced Israel with the church. Uh, and I read Ephesians chapter 2, yep. where he, he's taking the two and putting them in one new into man. one new man, thus establishing peace. So, uh, well, and you get that in Romans, too, because you have them Gentiles being grafted in. And so what's who's the real Israel there? It's Is it not Jesus? Is it not the vine? We're, we're grafted into him. Yeah, even I, I even take some issue with uh, some of the traditional interpretations of Romans chapter 11. He says, and thus all Israel will be saved. Sure. And, of course, that was, an, that was a, a central theme in the Puritan hope. Uh, and so they they did show at that time there was still at least maybe a semblance of an ethnic Israel at least in the minds of these uh, of some of the people that lived in, in in Europe. But can we make a point about that in the Old Testament? Were there Gentiles who were a part of Israel? Yes. Yeah. Of so course. so why does everybody think that you have to fall in this line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to be a part of Israel? Yeah, I, 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 I basically take <laughs> Romans chapter 11 referring to all, and all the elect will be sure, saved. Sure, I agree. And I that, agree in Israel, that. I use that term uh, interchangeably sure, sure. at this point. Back to our uh, earlier line of questioning, I wanted, to, I wanted to get you from Southern Baptist to, now you're still, <clears throat> this is still a Baptist church, it's uh, it's a Reformed Baptist church, but uh, uh, one of our elders, uh, he and I are pretty much like-minded. Uh, he is—he might as well just call himself Presbyterian. He just is having a hard time making that change because he has to lead the people, and he wants to do it in a way where he teaches them. That's one of the things I like about being here is they don't just go, hey, we're just going to go do this. They take time to teach the people because they want to bring the people along, which I think is great. Um, you have so many pastors who are power hungry and they just say, well, what I say goes. These guys are like, we want to make sure you understand why we're going to do what we're doing. And they ask questions and all that other stuff. So, that's really so good. how did you, how did you uh, meet and make the connection 
uh, get on the radar screen of Gary North such that he hired you to work for him. And then uh, then that morphed into uh, a, a relationship with Gary DeMar. Um, <clears throat> well, actually, it was Gary DeMar and then Gary North. Um, I was working for Jerry doing some DVD stuff. I had lost my job that year. I think that was 2011 or something. And so I worked with him for several months. We started some sites, Period and Rising, and Calvinism is the Gospel. And that, that Jerry is a guy who's gone underground. Yeah, he has. He has. He's. Um, he would love to. He told me, he said, I'd love to win the lottery. I'd move you and the family down. We'd move Tyler and go down to Florida. And all we'd do was produce videos like we do with Against the World. And that would be fun. But uh, I don't know that God has that in the cards for us. So, But anyway... Um, Gary DeMar was on his board, so was Brandon Valerani, who was over Liberty Alliance. And so when Gary had asked me about doing some Kindle books for him, and that kind of fell through, and I was going to come on full-time with Jerry. Uh, Kent Gentry was going to be leaving, and something went on there anyway. Uh, he couldn't really afford to keep me on, so he recommended me Gary. They were doing websites and things like that. So I, I started with him in 2012, February 2012. Uh, working for Gary and Brandon and then maybe I don't even remember six months a year I don't know year, year and a half something um, Dr. North uh, I think Brandon referred me to him to help him with some things and it was just simple things um, pulling some articles for him uh, so he could write he does Tea Party Economist and GaryNorth.com so I'd pull for him like 10 articles or something a night or something, send them to him that I thought he could use. And then uh, he would have me do little videos, like how-to videos to do something. He'd have a series and stuff like that. And then he would write articles on them. Um, so I did that for about a year. And then he changed courses of what he was doing, so I didn't work with him. And then he called me up about six months later or so and hired me again for another six months. And um, it was kind of funny because all the people down there in Georgia who know him they're like um, Tim I'm, I'm surprised you're still you're still working for him and I was like yeah and they go you know no other male he's fired every male that's worked for him and I said really and, and Dr. North had told me too because one time I accidentally I, I did things I'd make a video and I'd get frustrated because I wouldn't make him happy the first time but he was never mad or angry or anything he just said no I want you to change this and do that he's very very gracious to me about it but one time I, I deleted it after I did it which I normally did and he gave me that story about it, and I said, won't happen again. <laughs> and uh, so he's he's kind of kept me in mind until he started uh, Ron Paul Curriculum. And then when he did that, he just he was too busy to really do a lot of the other stuff. So he kind of did things a little different and didn't have really any need for me to do that. And it was, it, it was, it was a good working relationship, though. And now Gary, uh, who is no longer at the helm of American Vision, but I presume he's still on the board. Uh, yes, he is. But he has... he. Uh, your Freedom Outpost is his? Yeah, we were under uh, a company called Rivera, and I'm not sure, I don't know all the technicalities of what they're doing, but they've brought us under Liberty Alliance now, the site. There was six sites there, and only two of ours was really doing well, mine and um, Eagle Rising. And um, But they brought them under to try to generate some, some money, some traffic and things of that nature. And uh, But I don't, I don't, that's their business. All I do is run the site. Now these are more um, the sites that you're affiliated with that you're that you're the editor for today are uh, are they sort of kind of like in the uh, in the in the same ballywick as Joe Farah? Uh, they they purport to be the news that you need to know from a reform perspective or no I can't really say that because there are guys there that um, that write that contribute who are reform and there are guys who are not um, and so I can't really I can't really say yeah we have this this and I can tell you what I have um, and and like anything else a lot of the guy I mean I've got some guys that uh, I know are dispensationalists, and if they put dispensational stuff in there, if they're just reporting certain things that are going on as fact, I can put that up. I don't have a problem with that. 
people when they have certain things where they say, oh, well, Jesus said in Matthew 24, that I edit that out. I just cut it out because I, I don't even want to try to give that. And sometimes I, I miss that on occasion, but um, most of the time, usually they're, they're dealing with either a particular event that's went on and they just write about the event and they give the facts behind it. They're not, it's not that they're trying to present a particular worldview in that, I don't think. Well, you move pretty freely a, a, a among a lot of circles, the, uh, the, uh, the gun circles, mm. the epic beard contests. <laughs> uh, Bradley Dean, tell us about, a little bit about Bradley Dean. Is, what is, where, does he, um, where does he fall in on the, on, the, on the line here from your radical dispensationalist to the two kingdom to the reformed amillennial to the... Reconstructionist. Where, where, where is, and who is his main audience? Um, I don't want to really speak for him, but I can tell you what I perceive and things that we've talked about. Uh, he, I think, if he doesn't really buy into the labels and stuff, he reads. I mean, he is uh, well read and reading a lot of old authors, which is good. John Calvin, um, uh, John Wesley. Um, and I know everybody's going, uh, but, you know, Wesley had some, he had some good things to say. It's just, you know, his theology was a little bit of a problem, too. But, I mean, he, he, he spans the gamut of, of reading a lot of old authors, Spurgeon uh, and things. And, uh, and of course, I, I would say he's definitely, whether he would hold to a label or not, he's definitely theonomic. Uh, the law of God is where he points to. And he said, you know, if I was... A governor. If I was a judge in in up in Minnesota, he said the people would fear. He said because I wouldn't be cutting the slack. He said I would bring the hammer down on on crime. Um, we've had our question, our differences a little bit on certain things that are crime that I think is more statist. Um, but I, I think where it's biblical, I think he's very much in line with what Scripture says there, and he would be all for imposing. Um, the Old Testament law as far as our law because he sees that's what our founding fathers did too. Uh, they established in many of our state laws reference scripture for their law. In fact, most people would find it amazing. I did a, uh, a thing where you know, early before the found, uh, before the Constitution um, states had laws against sodomy. Uh, South Carolina, I believe it wasn't the death penalty. It was 21 years of hard labor. Uh, New York, astonishingly, was the death penalty, and they referenced Leviticus. So you you had that in there, and I think he's very much in line with that. Now, who's his audience? You know, there are things that I hear uh, people that would agree, but then there's this question of, where's your boots on the ground? You come to meetings, you come to pep rallies, you you say all the right things, but then what are you doing about it? What, What... what steps are you taking to correct the problems? And I think people get people get angry about things, but they don't know what to do. Well, don't Americans tend to always cast their eyes on Washington and look? Yes, they're always looking for top-down solutions. Well, and I think that comes I think that comes out of the education system, which was forced on us by Lincoln um, and the, those who followed after him. And that was something that uh, R.L. Dabney warned about too. He warned that they wanted to push an, an education indoctrination system on the South that didn't work in the North. And, you know, one of the most fascinating things is, uh, and people can get it on secular education, it's like four bucks on Amazon. You can download it, it's like 75 pages, nothing. You ought to read it. Um, just excerpts of what Dabney said would happen as a result of public education being imposed upon the South. And I read it years ago because I got it with um, uh, his biography on Stonewall Jackson. And I was amazed. Here was a guy looking 150 years into the future, and he could see that, not because he's some kind of prophet with special revelation, but because he could follow the logical progression of what would happen. And, um, and indeed, we're, faced, we're, we're seeing that today. Uh, two questions, sort of somewhat related to one another. Is the Tea Party pretty well dead and completely co-opted at this point? I think they're impotent. I don't know that they're dead, but they're impotent. Do you think any movement that basically does not have the law of God, have a firm grasp on the law of God and the centrality of the law in any corrective action is pretty much doomed to impotence? Of course they are. 
would you say that as you travel around, and, and presumably you travel, you, you rub shoulders with people who are gun aficionados or, again, epic beard owners, and uh, a lot of quote-unquote libertarians that are not not within, not, not necessarily within the body of Christ, um, when you point out to them that the Bible, that specifically the law of God, speaks to all the issues that they hate yeah. about how things are, uh, do you find that the, that the law of God, that, that war, they warm to the, the, to the gospel? I think, <clears throat> I think it's in how I approach them. Um, I've had... Uh, you know, atheist. Well, professed atheists. They're anti-theists. But I've had some of those come, and uh, in fact, it's funny that God's not dead. Film when they get to the that mark where you know the guy's going to say, "Well, why do you hate God?" And he finally just comes out and lets it go. I paused the film, and I told my kids, "I said, here's what he, here's what's going to happen. He's going to push this. This guy's going to say he hates God, and then the guy's going to turn around and do it." And so I play it, and they're looking at me like, "Hey, you know?" I said because I've dealt with people who are like that. Before I push them, I won't let them away from because I tell them the standard is my standard's the Bible. It's outside of me. It's not what I'm feeling for or whatever. This is the standard. If you can show me something different, that's fine. So I've dealt with those guys. I think the the atheist strain, if you will, of libertarianism is nothing more than Satanism. Do what you will be the whole of the law, as long as you don't quote unquote hurt would somebody. You, you would subscribe to Bojadar's assertion that the only way you can be a consistent libertarian is to be a theonomic, that's right. biblical sure. libertarian. Sure, that that's true, and uh, and that keeps the safeguards in place. Now, people don't like that because of things like um, I don't know uh, how they view homosexuality, um, and so what they do is they say, well, whatever happens in somebody's bedroom is their business. That okay? Well, wait a minute. A lot of these sodomites, one, they don't stick to one person. They are transmitting diseases to each other, which means they are harming each other. Um, and then you have to ask the question, are they um, going against somebody in what they do? And of course they are. They're is going it a victimless God. crime? In yeah, other is words. it a victimless crime? It's not. Uh, not only are they violating another person, but they're violating God. God said to do that. And they said, well, God's not in the picture. But how do you know that? You have no standard to say that, that he's not in that. So, yeah, there, I, I think there is the several strains of libertarianism. But I, I've dealt with people who are not believers. And um, they, can see both sides of, they can see both sides of certain things. Uh, they're not going to say there is no God. Of course, we know Romans 1 says that everybody knows there is a God. But and We're both atheists. Yeah, that's right. So the, the, the idea is just to bring the law of God in and to say, here it is. And you're still accountable to it. And what's funny is, is they know that. They know that the things you point out to them are true. They just don't want to give credence to the fact that the Bible says it. Do you think that, that really aware unbelievers who are paying attention, who are thinkers, mm -hmm. find... Uh, pessimistic eschatology, rather foolish, at, the le at least from this perspective. If the God you say exists, right. exists, then how could anything resist his agenda for history? Well, they would only think that if they actually believe a dispensational kind of thinking. That, that would be, they would think, well, God's whole thing is to just throw the world into hell. That's the whole that that would be the thinking, and then he's got to be the one to come save. Well, I believe God it does save, but again, going back to the Old Testament, um, David went out. We just went through this a couple of weeks. David went out to Goliath, and what did he say? You're coming to me with spear and sword. I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord. What's what's basically going on there? God's coming on his behalf, is he not? To drive that. I mean, he throws the stone at the hardest part of the body, and it sinks in. When this guy's got all the armor on, you think David was well, yeah. just a good well, shot with the well, sling? Well, Weaver would say it was his cranial cavity, and that's uh, the one place where caliber doesn't matter. Okay. Well, I mean, the whole point is, do you think David's really that good a shot with the sling? Maybe he is, maybe he isn't. I don't know. But I see it as... Well, providence. 
Yeah, providence. But I see it as here's this, you know, Michael. You've met my one of my elders, Michael, little short guy, and he says I like to think David was not this, you know, big rugged guy. He's just this little runt of a kid who has been faithful in what he's done and protecting his sheep. And now he comes out, and no wonder the giant's laughing at him. You know, he's just this little boy running around out here. He's nothing. And he comes out there and he whoops him, cuts his head off, <laughs> and sets the Philistines to, to flight. So, yeah, I mean. Uh, Another question I'm going to ask you on the horns of the other one, and I'm going to get, I want to go back to, and ask you real briefly before we let you go back to your family uh, about uh, some of your concerns as a father. Uh, do you feel, as you travel around, do you feel that some of the glitter is starting to drop off of the uh, stars and stripes and that the, the chance of USA, USA, uh, are, are Christians starting to wake up at all to the idea that uh, it is a beast system and that uh, no friend of God and that, and, and, you know, I hate to quote Jeremiah Wright, but, uh, you know, what he, the, I won't even repeat his phrase, but sure. the phrase that he took so much flack for saying God and it wasn't bless America, uh, he probably was maybe more right than we, no pun intended, than we knew. Yeah, I th- but I think he, I think the reason he said it was wrong—that's yeah, the whole obviously, issue. Obviously, his yeah. his yeah his motivation was wrong, and we and we're not called to hate America. We're called right. to love righteousness and well, love and we're people. Called to pray and to bless those who curse us. So not not to curse them, but to bless them. So um, yeah, I mean, I think that's I we think, should be the best citizens. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, you know, I get in. I've had some things. Is it where, okay to shoot cops ever? Yeah. I just threw that in there. Yeah, well, there is. When they're, when they're acting unlawfully, I believe there is. But it won't happen because people know that the second they draw on a law enforcement officer, their life on this planet comes to an end. Well, that may be, but their life may come. We've seen enough evidence that even if they don't draw, if they're laying flat down on the ground with their yeah. back up against them, their, their life may come to an end. Yeah. So I, I've seen some people, I know I've seen a couple of videos in Texas where some guys took a stand against that, and there was some cops who were um, ha- had a woman on the ground, and the guy pulled out his gun on him and said, you're not going to do that. Um, and I, I want to see that. Yeah, this was this was maybe three years ago. I forget when it was, but I was sort of surprised. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think there's a place where that is because... You know, policemen are not elected officials like a sheriff or a sheriff's deputy. They are elected by a city council in many cases, and most of us know they investigate themselves, which is a conflict of interest. Um, and, and I'm not against cops. Look, i got a friend in here who's I'd say cop. to abolish the cops and arm all the citizens. That's what I say, because in, under our Constitution, who is the ones who enforce the laws of the Constitution? The, the the militia. They're the ones who enforce the, the laws. I want to go back to real quickly before we let you go, and I'm going to give you a chance to plug your the, the your ministry, your sites again. You may not call them a ministry. I call them a ministry. Your ministry is your family. Uh, but as a as a father with ch- with daughters and sons, do you have a, 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 a policy or do you have a strategy or an agenda as you talked with Denise your wife uh, how are you going to is there anything you're going to particularly undertake to do to uh, find spouses suitable spouses for your sons and daughters I mean I would imagine all over this land there are homeschooling parents that are praying daily uh, for the young men or young women that are perhaps still toddlers or preschool that, that will someday be the the spouse for their son or daughter. That if we're gonna be if we're gonna be post millennial, we're gonna have a victorious uh, view of the future, then we have to be multi generational. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, I've heard stories about it wasn't uh, you won't know whether you've been successful until your grandchildren. Sure. Uh, but uh, as a homeschooling dad, what have you and Denise? How do you address that with children? How do you, how do you inculcate in them the desire to remain pure and to hold out only for God's best and to even know what to look for? What kind of conversations does a homeschooling dad have with his sons and daughters? Um, mine probably hasn't been like uh, some people. I don't. Uh 
I guess some of it is in my mind of how I was brought up, and my parents wouldn't talk about sex. They wouldn't. Uh, they refrain from any of, you know, that kind of stuff. I learned what I learned on the bathroom wall at, at elementary school. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's what I did, um, and in high school and experimenting or whatever. And um, you know, when our kids were fairly small, maybe I don't know, five, six, seven or something, maybe even before then, because we would read passages out of the Bible. And I just kind of give enough information to always just encourage marriage is for, you know, when two people, you know, God uh, made Adam and Eve, and they were naked in the garden, they were unashamed. And I said, the only only time, you know, man and a woman ought to be naked together is when they're, they're married. And I would just kind of leave it at that. It wasn't, you don't have to be... Uh, uh, gratuitous and in, in things you say. You just kind of reinforce it with little you, things. Now, are your children, are they growing up conscious uh, or self-identifying as Christian Reconstructionists? Are they are they theologically aware? And what ages do they begin to express the fact and, and show you that they're theologically aware, especially as it pertains to, uh, and I say eschatology because I think eschatology uh, obviously we could say that we would like to assert or claim that Christian Reconstructionists are just people who are consistent regarding the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Right. We're just consistent Christians. Uh, that's that's good. Uh, that makes us feel better about ourselves. But as your children, as they, as as your sons and daughters are expressing what their their hopes and aspirations for the future for their futures as it pertains to becoming a family one day themselves can you speak to that because i think that probably that's pretty tactical that's pretty important uh not a big theoretical sort of thing we're writing books about or doing podcasts about but these are the kinds of discussions and as you begin to discern and and, and and take note of the dreams and aspirations of your sons and daughters and, and, and then how you either affirm that or try to apply corrective action to that. Could you speak to that just a little bit and then we'll have to let you go. Yeah, um, there's a lot that I would like to see more. Um, and some of that may, be due, may just be my fault. Um, in busyness, sometimes that happens. Um, and that's something I've been dealing with over the past few weeks. Uh, our family doesn't make a ton of money, even though I do a lot of stuff. And so uh, it's constantly making sure that we can keep our heads above water. But there are things that I see in certain decisions that are make, that, I make uh, that the kids make. Some of them I'm not happy about, um, and others I'm very pleased with. Uh, we take, if we watch anything... Um, you know, it's there are things that stand out, and you mean watch on TV? Well, like a like a film or something like that. We watch because um, we Do you don't even have, have a TV. Well, we've got a TV. I'm not against television um, as, as far as uh, what's put out there, but um, what what I do see is that uh, I don't I don't want my kids to be in the situation, and some people may disagree with this, but to where you touch not, taste not kind of thing. And so what happens is, is that, uh, what happens is, is that a lot of times there is, I guess, in my thinking, such a keeping from anything that is presented, whether in music or whether in music or or, uh, movies or whatever, to the point that it it almost becomes this thing of inciting the child to say, "I want to go see that anyway." I want it's. I don't. I don't know how to how to put it. So anyway, what I do is is sometimes we'll we'll watch something, and there'll be different themes throughout it, and I'll say, "Okay," and I'll pause it, and I'll hear or see something that's being presented that's being done more in a subtle way rather than in your face, because usually they pick up on the in your face stuff. Um, but when I get to those things, I'll say, no, what do you think about that? And they'll go, they'll either give me an answer or they'll say, well, I haven't really thought about that. And we'll talk a little bit about it and then we'll continue with what we're doing. Um, I remember 
we had seen a uh, episode of um, The Walking Dead, <laughs> and one of the things was was they. Pre- I mean, you got all you got all humanity going down the toilet. Most of them are dead, but somehow there are lesbians who survive. <laughs> And they present that, and the kids were just grossed out. And I said, I said, yeah, that's not even realistic. Do you know that? And they go, yeah. So there's this episode where one of them gets killed, and all the kids. A person who's already dead gets killed. No, no, no. It's a, it's a, it's one of the lesbian ladies. Oh. She gets, she gets shot, and the kids all just went, yeah. And I just, I was like, okay, wait a minute here. We need to stop and think about this. Because they, they know it's wrong. And so they see it as, okay, here's somebody who got what they deserve. And so it's an opportunity to say, look, yeah, it's wrong. Now, what is it that you do that's wrong? Do you deserve the same thing? And, and I'm not saying that a person doesn't, uh, who engages in those things don't deserve death. But let's put it in the perspective of how the gospel is presented and how we should even view that. Well, I, I, hopefully one of the mothers, or maybe Tim, or will, who listens to this podcast, will take up the gauntlet, and we'll <laughs> see a booklet coming out it shortly on raising post-millennial kids. <laughs> but anyway, I want—I got to ask you one last question. Sure. Does, De, does Denise love the beard? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, if she, gra- if she grabs you, you can't get away, that's yeah, for sure. That's, that's true. <laughs> All right. That's true. Well, brother uh, Tim, uh, we appreciate you meeting with us here today. Tell our listeners again quickly where they can uh, follow you and uh, um, avail themselves of the articles from your cadre of writers. Uh, freedomoutpost.com, sonsoflibertymedia.com, gunsinthenews.com, TheWashingtonStandard.com, and if you're looking for that uh, ARAK semi-automatic rifle, that's Joshua M. Uh, excuse me, Joshua MK5.com. Outstanding, Tim. We'll let you get back to your family, uh, and uh, thank you for for joining us here on the War Room. Thank you for joining us in the War Room. Please enjoy the nation's rage, Psalm 2, by my soul among lions. 